It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down, break it all down the stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. And welcome into the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. It is Tuesday afternoon. Our phone number 509-547-1610. If you'd like to get involved, you can reach us via email as well. 610KONA.com. The bottom line page. Your name, where you're listening, what you would like to say. We are on Twitter at Bottom Line 610. Facebook at The Bottom Line 610. Getter at the same address. Also, we are available through the free mobile app, the Google Play, and the Apple stores. Rob Francis, Greg Neft with you. And Greg, um, we talked a little bit yesterday uh, about the holiday, uh, Martin Luther King Day. Um, I think one of the things that we didn't get to touch on or dive into is the fact that we did have a little bit of history last year in the Tri-Cities, and that is the fact that we saw the first person of African-American descent elected to the school board in Richland in 2020, and that was Sammy Bird. And it deserves to be recognized. Absolutely deserves to be recognized. So while there are many out there who continue to say, well, there's no progress, there's no progress, there's no progress. Well, there, there actually is. There's a lot of progress. It just depends on if you want to recognize that. And Semi Bird yesterday on his page, his school board page, posted this on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. As the first African-American to ever be elected to the Richland School Board, I'm truly thankful for the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and many others who gave so much to make America the beacon of hope that it is today. I am truly blessed to be a citizen of this great nation and a resident of this beautiful community, home of the free because of the brave. Very simply stated, very much to the point, and recognizing something that Many people choose not to, and that is there is opportunity for everyone in this country. There is opportunity afforded to every person if they choose to take it. We hear many people that complain how horrible the United States of America is. If the United States of America was as racist as people would like you to believe, why would we have so many people from different ethnic backgrounds excelling 
in different areas in our country, from professional sports to music to other aspects of the arts to science, politics, you name it. If this was such an oppressive country, such a country that has strayed so far from what Martin Luther King Jr. strove for, how would we have so many examples of that? The people that claim that this is an oppressive country, the people that claim that this country does not provide opportunities for minorities, are the people that want to continue to divide the country. They don't want to acknowledge the gains that have been made because for them, it defeats the agenda. It defeats the agenda. Absolutely 100% defeats the agenda. And so that in and of itself creates the question, and why? Why would you want to turn around and derail an entire group of people? Why would you want to derail an entire element of our society by telling them things? that are factually untrue. Hmm. Now, of course, you could ask that question up and down in a lot of different avenues, but why would you have a select group of people that tell people from different ethnic backgrounds that this is an oppressive country as they watch around them people that look like them succeeding? Because they themselves are frustrated. They themselves never achieve success, and so they want to blame others for their issues. But they're not the people that haven't achieved success. These are the Al Sharptons of the world. These are the MSNBC commentators. The people on CNN that sit there and tell you how racist of a country this is. How horrible it is to be a minority in the United States. But yet, you look and you see people at MSNBC and CNN that are minorities telling you that this is a racist country. Then if it is, how did you get your position? If it's such a racist country, how did you elevate yourself to the position that you're in? If it's such a racist country. If it's so oppressive, how do you have that job? How does Joy Reid have a show? Because she knows how to talk on the television. But what I'm trying to say to you is, Greg, if it's such an oppressive racist country, How do you have a show if we're that racist and that oppressive? And that's what we do is we prevent minorities from being able to succeed. How do you have a show? How do we have Ilhan Omar elected to Congress if we're so oppressive? How is AOC elected? How is Tim Scott elected? How are all of these people able to represent their communities if we're such a racist, oppressive country? And our society does everything it can to prevent people from different ethnic and gender backgrounds and orientations from succeeding. Because they know how to make it sound good. They know how to talk. They don't know much else, but they know how to talk. And as a result, if they're able to distill their arguments into a form where a lot of people can understand it, they're more than likely to go along with it if they're like-minded. It fascinates me, though, because there are people that believe it. Oh, yes, there's plenty of people who believe it. 
I mean, look at Joy Reid's numbers. They're not zero. Well, and you can look at Ilhan close. Omar. They're she actually, won. Actually, they're pretty close to zero. But the point I'm making is this. They're lying. They are absolutely 100% lying. Because if they were telling the truth, they wouldn't be in the position they're in. Well, of course. It wouldn't sound as good if they told the truth. It wouldn't sound nearly as made for television. It wouldn't sound nearly as soap opera-ish, as soap opera-ish which would mean less viewers, which would mean less people attracted to their cause. There needs to be conflict. Like every good story, truthful or not, there needs to be an A, a subject, a B, a conflict, and C, a resolution that either you've reached or can reach, you can reach, you is reachable. That's how you put together that screenwriting 101. Well, not every story ends with conflict resolution. I didn't say conflict. Well, I mean, okay, but every story has a conflict. You need yes. a B. You need an antagonist, a protagonist. Yes. Yeah, and you need and all at things. the end, I mean, conflict resolution, whether the conflict is actually resolved or not, that's immaterial. The C is the end result of the conflict. It's interesting because as we... Um, as we continue to look at this, and as the statements continue to be made left and right by people that want to deny uh, the opportunity that exists in this country for people, all it does is it creates more division. And that's exactly the goal, is to create more division. Sure. And... If opportunities, if, if if it is believed opportunities are not afforded, that's not the accurate assessment. The accurate assessment is that the opportunities are not being taken advantage of because opportunities are there for everyone from all backgrounds, all levels of everything. You're up on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Matt from Conondale. What's on your mind, Matt? So I, I wouldn't even know. The color of the person that you're talking about, she mentioned it. So I think racism is, is a big thing on everybody's ticket here, and it's, it's not even prevalent anywhere in the United States. It's just the media is making it up. But i got a question for you. Who, who uh, the lady or... Matt, you're, hang on. You're chopping up on us, Matt. Try to repeat your question again. Matt, give us a call back. Your connection is really, really, really bad. I don't think I don't think I don't think the media makes up racism. Racism does exist. Yeah. There are areas uh but racism exists more in individuals than it does in entities. Yeah. I'm because not buying an, the whole systematic Well thing, an no. an entity is made up of people. So so racism exists in individuals. Hmm. If there's enough individuals together to be able to push something like that forward. Uh, then it can exist in an entity, but it usually starts with individuals. You're up in the bottom line, News Radio 610 K1A. Your name, where are you calling from? Okay, is this me again? Yeah, it's a little bit better this time, Matt. What's your question? Okay, so who was the white lady that was uh, elected to the NAACP, and then they found out that she was not black, and then they then they got rid of her, but she was representing the black people just fine, 
so that isn't racism because they they fired her because she was white. Well, that and thanks for the call. Thanks for the call, Matt. It's not actually racism. It's called misrepresentation. She misrepresented the fact that she was something she was not, and that was Rachel Dolezal uh, up in Spokane. Spokane, the yes. NAACP chapter yes. there. Yeah. She, uh, she misrepresented what she was in order to get that position. So that's, that's not racism. That's the fact she lied in order to get the position. And then they found out it was not true, and she kind of tried to continue to lie about it and then it was really kind of found that there was no way she could lie about it anymore and that's why she was removed from the position because she misrepresented herself i remember that story her own parents turned her in yeah they're like dear no no, you're not black no yeah no no absolutely we we remember that story very well here Mm. um very well here Ah. so but let's take our first time out Bottom line, News Radio 16 K1A coming up a little bit later on this hour. We're going to talk with Representative Mary Dye from the 9th Legislative District. And then next hour, we're going to talk with Senator Perry Dozier from the 16th. Lots of things to discuss during the legislative session. We are back after this. Give us your bottom line. Call 509-547-1610. Now, back to the show. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA, 509-547-1610 is our number if you would like to get involved in the program. Perfection Tire, four locations here in the Tri-Cities. Been around for nearly 60 years serving this community, generation after generation, not just tires, but also services as well to keep your vehicle on the roadways. And, of course, top-level customer service that keeps people coming back well, generation after generation. Perfection Tire, first store was on Columbia Center Boulevard. Three more open since then. Visit Perfection Tire. Check out their website, perfectiontire.com, and get a head start on the selection of tires and the services that they provide. Rob and Greg hanging with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Um, agendas are an amazing thing. Hmm. They're consistent. Um, they, they always have a number of people pushing them. And many of the people that are backing and pushing the agenda are vociferous supporters of said agenda. So when we talk about trying to convince people of things that really aren't true, such as the level of racism and oppression that we are told about that exists in the United States, which really isn't true, um, there was a time that it was. Mm -hmm. There was a time in this country that if you were a minority, you were looked at as a second-class citizen. We have laws in place that prevent the treatment of that legally. We cannot, however, nor have we been able to figure out how to legislate the human condition. We can tell people what they will get in trouble for. We can tell people what you cannot do, but we cannot legislate the human condition. If we could, we probably wouldn't have any more murders, Hmm. but we can't do that. We can't legislate people individually from not being a racist. Sure. There are racist people that exist. No question. In the United States and in the world. 
Is it a smaller percentage than it was 60 years ago? I think so. I'd like to believe so. But that doesn't mean that there are not people. And Oh, and by the way, you don't have to be white to be a racist. No. You can be any persuasion and be a racist. As long as you dislike someone or a group of people based on the color of their skin or their ethnic background, you are a racist. Don't just have to look a certain way. It's not just one, this one entity can be and no one else can be. No question. So it is an individual sentiment. Like-minded people have formed groups over the course of our history to perpetuate their agenda and their philosophy. In this day and age, they're not as high profile as they were at one time. You're up on the bottom line, News Radio 610 K1A. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, this is Mary Dye calling. I probably called in a little too early. Just a little early. Representative Dye will pop you on hold. We'll get to you in just a couple of minutes. Um, but in truth, Greg, hmm. we are better off in many ways than we were at the time that Dr. King was giving his speeches, pushing for the passage of the Civil Rights Act. No question. We are much better off. But we have also seen a turn in how people look at the relationship between races and so on and so forth. We have people now that want to segregate again. Because they don't, they they want a safe space, and they think that only people of a certain background should be together in certain uh, entities. I I cannot stand that those two words, safe space. Guess Absolutely, what? there is no such thing as a safe space. You get out of bed in the morning, you could uh, land the wrong way in your foot and break it. That's not safe. The world is not safe. But and if you keep searching this Quiotian quest for safety, you're going to end up disappointed, sorely disappointed. But the point is, they use that as an excuse to once again segregate, because they have forgotten what it was that Dr. King said. They have yeah. forgotten what it was that Dr. King stood and for. And the it. Freedom Riders sitting at the lunch counter demanding service. I mean, come on. Equality. Yeah. Equality is what was asked for. Treat me the same, give me the same opportunity, regardless of what I look like, regardless of the color of my skin, regardless of my background, afford me the same opportunity, afford me the same rights. Yeah, no special treatment. Everyone else has. There's no special treatment. They just want the same things that every every American enjoys. That's all. But remember, there's a difference between equality and equity. Exactly. Yeah, I'm learning. And And it's being conflated. Indeed. The two are being confused. Equality and equity are two different things. There are people that want you to believe that they are the same thing, but they are, in fact, not the same thing at all. We're going to take a time out here on the bottom line. News Radio 610 K1A. We come back. We are going to talk with a representative from the 9th Legislative District, Mary Dye. A session is a week and a half old, roughly. And we'll find out what's going on on the House end of things. Talk to Representative Dye regarding what she's got in the hopper as well. 
More of the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA in just a few minutes. Join the show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back to the bottom line, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Welcome back, bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Rob Francis, Greg Neff with you Tuesday afternoon. Welcoming to the program. Representing the 9th Legislative District from Pomeroy, Representative Mary Dye. Representative Dye, thanks for the time today. We do appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing great. And how are you doing? Well, it is a new year, uh, but unfortunately it seems to be some of the same old stuff in Olympia. Uh, yes, it does. So changing the number at the end of the three digits, uh, the new fourth digit doesn't seem to be changing much of anything. Uh, but let's talk about some of the things that you have introduced uh, for this session, and that would be the ORCA plan. Talk to us a little bit about the ORCA plan. What does it contain, and what is the goal? Right. So last year... Um uh, the the um, legislature passed a huge uh, bill called the Climate Commitment Act, and it it tags along with the Clean Energy Transformation Act. The two bills play together to make our state a petroleum free economy by 2050, net zero by 2050, and you know that's a pretty uh, radical concept considering what our economy is based on energy. And once that uh, bill, cap-and-trade, passed, then the question is, what do you do with it? Once the bell is rung, it's pretty hard to reverse out of there. And the Republicans uh, put together a very comprehensive plan on how we would handle the climate issues going forward. And in reality, um, you know, Washington State is only one one-hundredth of the emissions of China and much of the carbon dioxide that's already encapsulated in the atmosphere has been put in there over the last 100 years of industrialization. And to reverse that by reducing emissions in Washington State doesn't seem uh, practical or prudent. And, you know, we do have very critical environmental needs in our state that we've never had the political will to address, and ORCA actually uh, steps in to address those issues using uh, Climate Commitment Act revenues. And, you know, we're focusing on four really key critical areas. And I think that the dollars that we could commit to those could really um, make our state a more livable place for constituents today rather than waiting for whatever time it takes to prevent um, catastrophic warming in the future. Now, Representative Dye, one of the things that I'm happy to see and and have been happy to see is a focus by some lawmakers on the issues in the Puget Sound, particularly with the amount of waste uh, that is being dumped in Puget Sound, how it is being ignored uh, by those on the left, and how it is Republicans that are drawing attention to the millions of gallons of untreated sewage being dumped in Puget Sound and having an impact on the salmon population and the orcas there. Are you getting any type of positive response uh, by Democrats in the House on this issue, or is this strictly something that 
is being pushed by Republican lawmakers and Democrats are doing their best to ignore because they want to tear the dams down? Actually, um, this is the one bill that does get a hearing from the ORCA plan. Um, and the bill uh, works on nutrient discharges into Puget Sound and the, discharge, uh, the discharge permits that um, you've heard from Kathy McMorris-Rogers and Dan Newhouse have both um, been very public about those um, wastewater discharge permits that Department of Ecology is wanting to wait and do more study to see how they might remedy the problem. But here we have an opportunity to go in and, and suggest that, you know, there's, there's a roughly 80 um, wastewater treatment plants that discharge into the sound. Over half the state's population list, uh, lives there, and the wastewater treatment facilities haven't grown um, adequately. They're way overtaxed. And 57 of them wanted exceptions and exemptions on their wastewater discharge permits from Department of Ecology. And there's no way that they're making um, the water quality standards under WOTUS. And certainly not under the, um, which is the WOTUS is uh, Waters of the U.S. law through EPA. And the state has a much higher standard still on those waters. And, you know, there's only one uh, wastewater treatment plant in the Puget Sound area. The, that actually removes uh, the nutrients from the wastewater, and that's Olympia. And and you would think that that would be a primary focus. And when you hear the climate activists talk about ocean acidification and, you know, the algae blooms, toxic algae blooms, that's all caused by, you know, the nitrogen when you eat food and you just, you know, you do your thing, that that you you relieve yourself with nitrogen goes into that at your urine and then it's not removed out of the treatment uh, processes in the wastewater treatment and that gets discharged into Puget Sound and it's un- unbalancing the ecosystem and the ecology of the marine water and the marine environment and it's causing a great deal of hazard to the the spring chinook salmon to the orca and also to the shellfish industry so. My bill actually um, expedites permitting, let's get it done. Let's put in the tertiary treatment necessary to remove those nutrients. And, you know, one other thing, Rob, that really, when I just did rough math, back of envelope, um, the amount of nitrogen that's being discharged into Puget Sound every year would be enough to fertilize 289,000 acres of winter wheat in eastern Washington. Wow. Just wrap your head around that. That's a ton. We're talking with Representative Mary Dye from the 9th Legislative District here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 K1A. Uh, Representative Dye, Greg Neft here. So let's talk about the specifics. How do you collect this sort of thing? How do you clean up the Puget Sound? What kind of filters do you put on the discharge that's running out of Seattle to, to essentially capture this and, and make it more useful? What is what is your bill? I mean, we've, we've heard about the numerical figures about it, but what does it actually do? So there's three main pieces. Um, one is the permitting, which would, uh, the bureaucratic piece, which would expedite investments with Climate Commitment Act dollars to invest and mandate through rule that they have to put in a whole nother step in the treatment process. And there's membranes that 
and that actually remove those nutrients before the water is pure enough to go back into Puget Sound. Secondly, the investments that are needed in those wastewater treatment plants is capacity. You know, that's a growing population, and the current way that those um, investments are made are through local ratepayers through their municipalities. But you look at Puget Sound, and it's an estuary of national importance, and it's one of the key assets that we enjoy as a state, having that unique estuary, that unique feature as part of our state. And um, so I think that it's reasonable to say that it's a statewide problem, and it's a problem that we as a, a, a society should be using those dollars as we're being, you know, required to pay more for our energy as a result of the Climate Commitment Act. And we are going to all have to um, really tighten our belts as a result of that. And none of us really wanted to use uh, that policy. There would have been other less expensive ways to maybe achieve the same goal. But it, it, once that bell was rung, we're, we're really there. That's what we now have on the table to work with. And so those revenues need to be prioritized to do the most important environmental, uh, resolve some of the most important re- environmental problems that millions of dollars have been invested in, but no success has been made. And I think that by using those dollars to assist um, the state to take those municipality those municipalities' wastewater treatment and really drive significant investments into those. I think that'll make a huge difference. It'll open up a backlog of need that's been in place for a long, long time. Now, Representative Dye, another bill that you have is as a part of this ORCA plan is something that we have heard the governor speak to, except he says it's climate change. We know that each year... We continue to have concern during wildfire season because of the fact that the forests that we have in Washington State are not thinned. They do not take care of the uh, the trees and the, for lack of a better term, kindling from the year prior that only helps to exacerbate wildfires. Uh, there really is not much of a level, not much level of cleanup. And you are proposing with one of your bills. Uh, an investment in cleaning up those unhealthy forests and an action plan uh, to try and mitigate the wildfire situation. Oh, yeah, Rob. You know, ever since the 70s and we had the Monkey Wrench Gang and and all of that, uh, the environmental community has wanted the forest to go au natural, right? Mm. (laughs) And Mm. now we have the result of that because forests tell very long stories. They tell it in 50 years and 60-year timelines. And we're experiencing the consequences of that that approach, and it does not work. And uh, so... You know, we just passed, uh, Representative Kretz worked very closely with Hillary Friends in the DNR, and they developed a 20-year forest health initiative. And last year, it wasn't able to get across the finish line because it contained a fee that was um, not acceptable to all parties. And so this year, they passed it, or I guess 1920 or 20, that year, they tried to put a fee on it, did not pass this last 21, passed it with a um, with a uh, 
uh, budget appropriation, a two-year budget appropriation of $125 million to start the process and look for a way to make a longer-term funding commitment for that 20-year plan. And I think the 20-year plan was really responsive to the needs of people who experience wildfires every year and and struggle under that, that uh, risk. And so we have that plan, and with Climate Commitment Act dollars, we can invest in um, keeping that plan moving forward. But more importantly, you know, for all those years, we've seen it that those timber towns have been devastated economically as their mills have been closed, as the forest has been uh, cordoned off from any kind of economic activity whatsoever. And so that is the result, is we burn our forest rather than harvest our forest. And every time that somebody says affordable housing, I get pretty upset. My eyes kind of bleed when I hear them say stuff like that, because in reality, that forest was there to help fund the school trust fund for building. It's there to provide a uh, reasonable and, uh, and affordable supply of building supplies for the state and the nation. And yet we refuse to harvest it. We would rather see it burn as a natural uh, process rather than to use it for the benefit of the communities and the, and the country and the state in, in using those resources properly. So this um, bill also envisions reinvigorating the industries that uh, the mills put in new innovative technology, rebuild the mills, and rebuild the economy of those timber towns. So long-term, sustainably, we can maintain the progress that we gain in that 20-year plan. Do you expect this bill to also have an opportunity uh, to get out of committee, or do you believe because this is a somewhat different path uh, than what the governor is proposing to arguably accomplish the same goal, that it will not uh, have the opportunity to get out of committee? You know, I'm going to continue to advocate for this policy. And um, at this point, uh, there is some resistance overall because they realize this is a part of a larger package and of, or a larger vision for what or, um, our Climate Commitment Act should be doing for the state of Washington. And really... Um, do practical environmentalism that people can experience the benefits today rather than um, some some goal to participate in the global climate community. Um, and so right now I, I see that it's kind of sitting on the side, but the goal is to have really robust conversations, opportunities to really discuss these ideas throughout the, the summer and into the fall with hopes that next year many of these ideas will have flourished with the conversations that we have with um, interested stakeholders across the state. Representative Mary Dye from the 9th Legislative District, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Do appreciate you joining us, and I look forward to speaking to you again a little bit later on in the session. Absolutely. We'll look forward to that conversation when we have it. Absolutely. Representative Mary Dye from the 9th Legislative District joining us here. Bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. We'll take a time out. Come back with a bit more. Your calls at 509-547-1610. You can email us as well through the website, 610k1a.com, the bottom line page, your name, where you're listening, and what you would like to say. 
Speak your piece. Call 509-547-1610. More of The Bottom Line, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Welcome back to the Bottom Line News Radio 610 KONA. Uh, we got breaking news yep. coming out of the Benton County Superior Court uh, press release just sent to us a few minutes ago um, regarding one of their own. Um, and. Basically, we'll just read the press release in its entirety, uh, or as much as we can while we have time left. So uh, it starts by saying the Superior Court for Benton and Franklin Counties has a duty to the public to ensure that all judges of the bench are fit to serve. Canon 1 of the Code of Judicial Conduct requires that each judge shall uphold and promote the independence, integrity, and impartiality of the judiciary and shall avoid impropriety and the appearance of impropriety. Um Rule 1.2, comment 1 of the code, states that public confidence in the judiciary is eroded by improper conduct. So apparently, five days ago, on January 13th, at a regular judges' meeting, at which Judge Sam Swanberg was not present, the six other judges unanimously voted under applicable court rules that Judge Swanberg be removed for the remainder of his term as administrative presiding judge. The Judge Jackie Shea Brown assumed the position of Administrative Presiding Judge for the remainder of the term ending December 31st, 2022, and that Judge Jacqueline Stam assumed the position of Assistant Administrative Presiding Judge for the remainder of the same term. Yep. Uh, the Judge Swanberg has been advised of Judge Shea Brown's decision as Administrative Presiding Judge to restrict his assignment to any matters, dockets, hearings, trials, or any other court business in the Bi-County Judicial District until further notice. And the decision is temporary and subject to ongoing review pending receipt of additional information. And that is, of course, on the heels of a hearing this morning uh, regarding Judge Schwanberg. That's right. He was uh, essentially cited or charged with uh, second de- with uh, two counts of fourth-degree assault, domestic violence, which is a gross misdemeanor. Um, that happened this morning, and the, his arraignment for lack of a better term, will be on February 8th. And, of course, we'll st- we, we are still gathering information on this story um, and still getting more details as to where it goes from here. But that hearing apparently, as you mentioned, Greg, was well, not apparently. The hearing was this morning yep. uh, in Franklin County. It was in Franklin County. District yes. Court. Yep. Um, and the judge found that there was enough evidence to... Move well, forward. Well, essentially, this being a misdemeanor, he was issued. Gross Swanberg was yes. issued a citation, not charged, but issued a citation for gross misdemeanor, uh, two counts, fourth degree assault, domestic violence. There you have it. And, and again, he will be arraigned, which I'm sure he'll enter a plea of not guilty on February. 8th. You would. Well, we'll find out what he. I mean, what that's, he that's the way it works, but yeah, but yeah, but you would you would expect it, you know. It will be fought, and so uh, that'll be the next step, February 8th, which is a pretty quick turnaround, if you think about it. What is that, uh, 20 days from now? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, 20 days from now. So, uh, but that coming down just a few moments ago from the Benton-Franklin County Superior Court. More on the way. Bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA, Tuesday afternoon. You can reach us via phone, via email. 
Also, you can reach us through the free mobile app through the Google Play and the Apple stores.